beginning. There was vinyl, and it was good. Others soon followed. A-tracks, cassettes, mini-discs, dats, CDs, whatever. The point is, vinyl, 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 was still, still, still good. I mean, look at the artwork. The second annual College Radio Vinylthon. The sound is different, it's authentic, it's real. I think vinyl is just unlike anything else. For more information, please visit collegeradio.org. In vinyl we trust. You are listening to the second annual College Radio Vinylthon. This event is organized by the College Radio Foundation and over 65 college radio stations in the USA are taking part by playing vinyl throughout the day. Some stations are even going 24 hours of vinyl only. Today is about celebrating the unique music format of vinyl, and also the fact that College Radio still plays vinyl on a daily basis. In this program, we will also feature a keynote interview with 11-time Grammy Award-winning producer and musician Daniel Lanois. And you'll also hear shout-outs from college stations and famous radio personalities, too. So we hope you enjoy the second annual Vinylthon. In Vinyl We Trust. This is Vinylthon. All vinyl, all day. Because when the needle drops, the power rises. Get some more information at collegeradio.org. Let's play Vinyl on Fire. Your house is on fire and you can only save three records. What would they be and why? My name is Maraid, rhymes with parade, and I am one of the assistant music directors here at Brave New Radio. I would have to say that my top three albums, it was actually... Please know that this is like one of the hardest decisions I've had to do is pick three albums to save from a fire. But my top three in no particular order would be Bob Marley's Legend. Only because that was the first and quite possibly the only um, album that I know every single song like word for word. Um, I love his messaging and his teachings. I feel like every song he has kind of gives a similar message of love and unity and just, you know, don't be a d- And the second one would have to be probably Vampire Weekend's Modern Vampire of the City. Mornings come, you watch the red the because it's kind of like a coming of age record, I guess, for me. It came out the same year that I graduated high school. So it got me through a lot of different things like friend drama and stuff like that. I turned to the band to kind of get those songs, again, their messaging. Um, with Vampire Weekend songs, a lot of the messages are hidden, so you kind of have to like really listen to it and kind of develop an understanding for what they're saying. And I feel like that in and of itself is really an interesting concept, especially when it comes to music. I like things that make you think. And then the last one would have to be the Irish Rovers, the Irish Rover Gems. And that's pretty much just every single hit that the Irish Rovers have had. I personally have Irish heritage to me, so I feel like that's part of who I am and what I grew up around, so it reminds me a lot of my family and who I am. So those would probably be the three records that I would save from a fire. The second annual College Radio Vinylthon. For more information, please visit collegeradio.org. In vinyl, we trust. Let's go, go, let's go, 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 go,
Celebrating 68 years of student-run radio from the campus of Kansas State University, have a great vinyl thon from all of us here at 91.9 KSDB-FM. Hi, everybody. This is your cousin, Brucey. Listen, I'd like to wish you all a happy, happy record store day and a vivacious vinyl thug. Now, the guys over at 90.3 said to me, Brucey, what do you think of vinyl? And I went, oh. And right away, I, I started conjuring up feelings. I used to love to touch those things. Touching a piece of vinyl was very exciting. It made me warm, just like the sound of vinyl, and made me kind of fuzzy. So it was kind of nice to, as we used to say, kick the tires or kick the vinyl at that time. I used to love, love to watch the stylus slowly at 33 point something or other track, right? Track the track, and used to take for almost ever. I loved watching the stylus do that. Vinyl cousins will never, here's my prediction, vinyl will never, ever be final. Vinyl will always be here. Here is spelled H-E-A-R. Can I really say that? Well, vinyl's terrific. You're listening to W-I-X-Q 91.7 FM The Ville Your number one music sauce At Millersville University In Lancaster, Pennsylvania And this is Vinyl Thon And now, exclusively for this Vinyl Thon An interview with Don McLean Thanks to Montclair State University Radio WMSC A long, long time ago Don McLean is one of America's most iconic singer-songwriters and known around the world for his classic hits American Pie and Vincent Starry Starry Night. Since first hitting the charts in 1971, Don has earned 40 gold and platinum records worldwide, and in 2004 he was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. His world-famous hit American Pie has been recorded by several artists from many music genres, including Madonna. The late George Michael also covered his Iraq War protest song, The Grave. Don continues to tour North America and the rest of the world. His next tour starts May 5th and will take him to Chicago, Florida, California, and our very own state of New Jersey, just a few minutes away from our campus on June 24th, as well as various other states. Welcome to WMSC, Don. What an honor it is to be interviewing you. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I'm delighted to uh, talk to you. How do you think American Pie captured that moment in time in our country? Well, you know, it was a hit record. Today, you know, you really don't have hit records the way you had them back when that song was a hit record, or any of the Beatles songs or the Rolling Stones or, you know, any of the big hits. There were only two or three radio stations in New York City that played the top 40, and the song would go all around the world. You know, it was major when you when you had a hit record. Now there are so many outlets, you know, for music that it just seems fractured uh, to me. I think American Pie, you know, hit, hit the nail on the head at that moment. Do you think it is still relevant in today's society and state of affairs? American Pie is sort of a, a closed loop. It, it's a world that you go into, like any song that's good, is always timeless and there's always a place for it. If you remember many years ago, uh, Scott Joplin had a number one record. He was the famous piano player who did uh, the Maple Leaf Rag. 
And I think there was a, a movie with uh, Robert Redford, The Sting, and all of a sudden a, a song from 1905 was number one on the chart. So any song that's good can always find its way back, uh, or it finds its way out. For example, uh, Wonderful World was a song recorded by Louis Armstrong that ended up in, I think it was Good Morning Vietnam or one of those movies, and uh, it became a classic. So a uh, good song is always useful and uh, is always relevant. So the album has been re-released for vinyl last May. Were there any remasters or changes to the release? I hope not. I wasn't asked for my approval, but I would hope it would be exactly the way it was when it came out because, you know, that's the last word. One of the nice things about vinyl, if you buy an album, uh, you know, one of those albums that's like overstock, you know, that you, you get them a lot of times that they weren't sold back in the 60s or something. That's the last word. If you got a Beatles album, you know, that was from the 1960s, brand new, if you put that on a turntable, that's exactly what George Martin wanted you to hear. Your track, American Pie, topped the Billboard charts 45 years ago. Why re-release the album on vinyl, and how did vinyl impact your career as well as your music? Well... Everything was vinyl for, gee, what was it, 40 years or something? Um, records were... Then RCA came up with a way of, of making thinner records. So they weighed less and they took up less space. And you could, you could almost fold them into a cone. And they didn't warp. So, you know, they were always working with vinyl. And uh, that was my, my era. You know, I remember going into a, a record store uh, when uh, Michael Jackson's album Bad came out. You know, and, you know, a, a pretty good recording artist would have a, you know, a bin of stuff. Michael Jackson had his album stacked from the floor <laughs> to my to six feet high in about <laughs> all over the store. The amount of albums this guy was selling was just amazing. And uh, so I do remember that. And then it started to change. Um, my uh, career seemed to be in a dip uh, in the mid-'80s and after I'd had a number one <coughs> record and some other songs on the charts. Uh, with, uh, the number one was Crying. And by 1985, I mean, they were selling out all the vinyl. And then a year or so later, somebody showed up with a, you know, a CD of American Pie or the best of Don McLean or one of my other albums that I'd made. And then that started to grow. You know, the CD thing began to grow. But I think that when you have all uh, digital sound, I think it's cold. You know, um, some of the folks out there who are interested in how these records are made, if you listen to some of the, the Beatles records, the, the sound on George Harrison's guitar is very silver and very liquid, and it's because of uh, uh, tube um, equipment that was really old that the BBC had, equalizers and things that were, you know, from the 40s um, that made the guitar sound just great. So, you know, it's kind of like... Uh, uh, spam and ham, you know what I mean? Uh, ham's the real thing, and spam is the thing that's the digital. It it, it just doesn't quite taste the same, but uh, so people want the real thing, I think. What is making people all of a sudden buy vinyl again? Is it an aesthetic trend, or do you think it's back for good? I don't know. Maybe they like the experience of holding the album and reading the notes and seeing the cover again and hearing the thing, I think it's giving them... I mean, really, CD is dead now. What you get now is downloads. They're sort of 
sound patterns that come out of the out of the night, out of the sky, or something. I, I think people want the uh, the impact of an album, and they can sit and listen to it. And, uh, it it will last a lot longer than a CD will. I mean, CDs crash and they get skip and stuff. But you take care of an album, it'll last you know a hundred years. Do you think album artwork and covers are important anymore? People are only downloading music, like you said. So, do you think that album artwork holds any value in today's music? Well, if I were to be truthful, and I hope I always am, uh, I would have to say that songwriting and album art are both disappearing. You know, real songwriting with real melody and real lyric. There's a lot of repetitive stuff that's. I was watching a video of Coldplay, and they're so huge, and I know they're very popular, and I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but the show had lasers. Oh, my God, it was just so elaborate, and the audience is just so excited and everything, and the song is playing, but I can hardly hear this song. It's almost background music for the visual aspect of the show. Do you think that college radio stations really help bolster your sound and fan base during the release of American Pie? Yes, definitely. The college radio and underground radio were the big supporters of my albums when, you know, there wasn't a song that was on the chart and the kids on the campuses would play them and underground radio. And they would play like the whole side of a record or something, you know, not just one song and, you know, talk about the artist. That's the thing about hit records, play the one song and they don't really talk much about anything except, you know, the next song that's coming up. College radio and underground radio would also pioneer new sounds and support uh, new acts. I'm sure that college radio today, you know, forefront of, of bringing forward a lot of new young acts that wouldn't get on the radio, uh, on the uh, AM radio, because it costs like millions of dollars to have a career now. Don, it's been a true pleasure talking to you. For WMSC, I'm Mike Stringham. And I'm Austin Nesson. You're listening to the second, not the first, but the second Vinylthon ever. Let's play Vinyl on Fire. Your house is on fire and you can only save three records. What would they be and why? Hi, this is Pete Creighton from WXAV 88.3 FM Chicago. And the question has been presented in front of me. If I could only save three vinyl from a fire what would they be? That's a rather difficult question for me because I love vinyl and I would try and save all of them because all of them have some uh, sentimental meaning to me. But my arm's being twisted and I must choose only three to save from a fire. So my three in no particular order would be The Beatles' Rubber Soul. Because that's my favorite Beatles record of all time. William Elliot Whitmore's Field Songs. Which is, in my opinion, his best record he's done. But that really got me through a difficult time period in my life. And finally, this is an odd choice. But I'm a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. 
And I have a couple of the Basil Rathbone Sherlock Holmes movies. The audio from the film is is printed onto onto vinyl. So I would take my favorite movie from that, which is The Voice of Terror. Holmes, how are you? It's so good of you to come. Good afternoon, Sir Evan. Your card opened all doors. <laughs> so those are my three selections. Sherlock Holmes and The Voice of Terror, William Elliot Whitmore with Field Songs, and The Beatles with Rubber Soul. Hey, what's up? It's Jose Manga from SiriusXM, and welcome to the second annual Vinyl Thon right here. All over the country, college radio stations are going off. You are listening to the second annual College Radio Vinylthon. Hello, everybody. This is Sophie from Elastic Bond. And we love vinyl because it takes us back to those days when soul music was born. And we love College Radio because it's unfiltered, sincere, and it gives room for people that think outside the box. Happy Vinylthon and Record Store Day. Hey, it's Annabella Pullen here at 90.3 WMSC, the voice of Montclair State, wishing everyone joining us today on this celebration a happy Record Store Day and Vinylthon. Hey, it's a shout out from Warner University Radio. Happy Vinylthon, happy Record Store Day. And now time for our keynote interview with acclaimed producer and musician, 11-time Grammy Award winner, Daniel Lanois. In the complete interview, which is available at collegeradio.org, we discuss many things and the many artists that he's worked with. Here's just an excerpt from that interview, and I do hope you'll go to the website to check out the whole thing. And of course, why not? I talked about his time working with the legendary U2. The album's The Joshua Tree, and then the song that I'm going to pick from that is One Tree Hill. And, I mean, the whole album, you could pick any song from that, really. That particular song, One Tree Hill, the song was about Greg Carroll, right, who worked for the band and then was killed in July 1986 in a motorcycle accident. So the story goes with that song, Bono did one take, only sang it once. Is that true? Um, I think that's true. It's a little vague in my mind because that's a long time ago and I didn't work on that song on the re... Because, you know, we did some mixes for the reissue of the record and... Uh, Eno did uh, One Tree Hill, I believe, and, and I remixed uh, Running to Stand Still. But you're right about Greg, um, unfortunately, had a motorcycle accident and we lost him. And um, he was a magnificent man and stood out in, in the crowd there in Dublin. But there were a lot of one-takes on the Joshua Tree, vocally. I could speak a little more about um, Running to Stand Still because that's the one I just remixed and... Um, if you don't mind segueing into that one. No, not at all. Wanting to Stand Still is uh, one of the most intimate songs in the entire album, isn't it? So she woke up Woke up from where she was Lying still It's also a sad story because uh, one of Bono's mates, uh, Someone he grew up with he was pretty whacked out on drugs and jumped off the roof of the, uh, of the Seven Towers at the Ballygowan Flats, I think if I've got the name right. And um, 
he thought he could fly, and he didn't, and he hit the ground, and that was it. And so that's what the song is about, and that's another live vocal. Uh, and it's obviously an emotional song for Bono, and, and it really comes through in, in the singing. But when folks out there have a chance to listen to the remix, we were able to provide a new emotional dimension to the to the vocal with the, this new vo- uh, instrumental arrangement that especially in the second verse if you when you listen to it uh, it has a beautiful uh, complex arrangement much like um, Bernard Herman might have done in the 50s I'm a fan of Bernard Herman so for me to to visit Bernard's world and apply it to the second verse in running to stand still was a was a very special moment and I got a nice compliment from Bono that he could barely hold back the tears when he heard the remix. Is that remix on the 30th anniversary edition of the album that's being released? That's correct, yes. Your entire career, if you look at it, it's um, a profile in musical courage, in a way, because um, you, you've done it all and you've been experimental and um, much like college radio, in a way, because college radio is the world I come from. College radio has always played music as well that's been out there um i've always loved radio i came up on radio and uh, it had of course something very mysterious about it and there was some very smart disc jockeys in the uh, toronto area where i grew up uh, as a teenager and they were playing all kind of far out uh, selections and a couple of them were practically beat poets and so they they'd go on um, they were probably high on something or other but they really took the listeners on a journey and um I mean, I've spoken with Bob Dylan about this because he came up in a similar way where, you know, television didn't exist when he was a kid. So you had to imagine what people looked like. And there weren't all the uh, music magazines and so on. So, But then we, we uh, in my first recording studio, we actually got a radio transmitter installed in the basement of the studio. And um, we used it to transmit to the car. So we got to ride around take the car, drive around the block, and check out a mix right on the radio. <laughs> it had maybe a one-mile radius or something like that as, as its power, but it was a lot of fun. And um, I still love radio to this day, but most of all, I, I appreciate surprises on radio. And I, I guess the, the brave hearts of surprises are always uh, in college radio stations and, or, or at least the... The lesser commercial stations where the programming was not determined, programming was in the hands of the disc jockey, and I still like that idea today. When I told people I was going to be interviewing you, they they wanted me to check out the veracity of this story, and that is the recording of Actung Baby with you 2 in, in 1991. And the story goes, and I know you've heard this, obviously, because you were, you were there, but the, the band was really having trouble coming together in the studio. And in fact, there was even rumours that the band would even split, or it was pretty bad, the divisions in the studio. But it was, you were instrumental in bringing the band together and helping the Edge come up with a chord sequence or encouraging him to come up with a chord sequence that would become the song One. And as he was playing the guitar, it was then the breakthrough moment that the band needed. Is that... Accurate to say that happened? What happened from your experience? Well, uh, talk about song one. Um, of course, I was there for the construction of that. And yes, The Edge had a, some nice, nice chord sequences on the go. I was trying to decide whether it should go this way and that way. And 
I think you know, there was a moment of suggestion for me that maybe an amalgamation of the two, and given that I'm musical and I can play the guitar myself, I was able to make a suggestion that made sense to the arrangement, and, and that um, I think that stringing together helped the song along nicely. And then a little further out down the line of the making of that song, um, Edge was out of town, and uh, Bono said, Danny, would you play a little something? Because Bono likes to have a, a fresh ingredient that might spark a vocal to rise up out of him. <laughs> and I played this little hammer-on part, you know, and I didn't think a lot of it at the time, but it seemed to uh, live on and made the final mix. So that's that's the little part that's on the intro. But to be honest with you, I've heard the story before about how the band was on the verge of breaking up, and I don't remember any of that. Uh, it just seems like a lot of mythology to me. You know, it was we were working hard, but we we always work hard and always trying a hundred different ideas until we found something that was special. And that record was no different than any of the others. You know, we we just kept at it, and some nice things were had out of Berlin where we were for a couple of months. I thought that place sounded great, and Larry was playing terrific at that time, and we really egged them on. And, and you can really hear it on the record. It's a, it's a rock and rhythm section on that record. As wild and as far out as the toppings might be, I'm quite proud of the fact that, the, that Larry and Adam are anchored in rock and roll. And um, we, that might not have happened if we had not gone to Berlin and I don't really remember the struggles. I just remember a lot of hard work, and uh, it's one of the rec- one of the YouTube records that I worked on that I'm most proud of. Yeah. So this interview's been recorded for Vinylthon, and uh, vinyl, as you know, has really had a bit of a uh, renaissance, a reemergence. Talk to me about your your love of vinyl and how you feel about the reemergence or the resurgence of uh, the vinyl phenomenon. Yeah, sure, man. Uh, I have a vinyl collection. I didn't collect it myself. I bought it from Bill Bentley, who used to uh, work for Warner Brothers as publicist. We're still friends to this day. And um, Bill handpicked all the records for this collection, so it's mostly a, a southern uh, Texas and southern USA collection of jazz and blues. And So I still have that collection now. And I also have a nice extensive collection of 45s here in Toronto, where I'm speaking to you from. And there's just something special about the... I mean, people talk about the sound. You know, they'll always sound a little bit scratchy because <laughs> the vinyl always had surface noise. But what it does have, that I think we appreciate, it has a moving part. You have a stylus moving up and down according to the cut in vinyl. That's being amplified. And so that the moving part that we have in our head is, is the eardrum. <laughs> so it's, we like moving parts as listeners. But aside from all that, isn't it nice to take on an album, read something on the back, enjoy the photographs, kick back a little bit and and forget about the mad fast world that we've built. But I think the our, our bohemian tendencies are still with us. We still like to congregate with friends. So having a couple of hours of, of vinyl listening might suit the times very well. Okay, as it is Vinylthon, so then the question is going to be this. Uh, we've got this little game that we're playing. It's called Vinyl on Fire. Let's play Vinyl on Fire. Your house is on fire, and you can only save three records. What would they be, and why? Okay. Hey, Wayne Lorenz, 
Okay, light the fire. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. All right. Okay, I think I can reach for that Stan Getz Bossa Nova. Yeah, we got we got Stan Getz Bossa Nova. Good. Oh, I, I couldn't do it without Jimi Hendrix. Oh, hang on. Okay, uh, okay, Electric Ladyland. That's fine. Yeah, man. Great. What about some what about some German stuff? You know, oh oh oh, uh, man machine, craftwork. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Craftwork, uh, Jimi Hendrix, and what was the first one? Dan Getz, Bossa Nova. Bossa Nova. Those would be your three. And can I ask why those would be your three? They were the closest ones to us. I've been getting burnt when I ran back into the room to get them. <laughs> I had to leave out the other thousand favorites. <laughs> well, Stan Getz is a very romantic record, Bossa Nova. And um, that's worked well for me on several romantic evenings. And then I'm, I'm such a fan of Jimi Hendrix. And so this Electric Ladyland has, has that, mm, that beautiful guitar playing and a sense of experimentation and adventure mm. appeals to me. And then um, Man Machine, uh, Craftwork. Uh, I think that's got the model on it, does it, Wayne? What's interesting about Craftwork is you hear a lot of early hip-hop in, in those records. I think, um, believe it or not, that the Germans would have been part of the spine of building uh, American rhythmic music. I like the, the robotic and the the machine like uh, tonality of those records about the craftwork records and that's one of them <laughs> my thanks to daniel lanoir for that interview and again check out the entire interview at collegeradio.org we hope you've enjoyed this vinyl thon the second ever vinyl thon and we hope that you stay listening to your local college radio station this has been a production for vinyl thon 2017 on behalf of the college radio foundation long live college radio